Hey guys, you are now listening to the Maranatha House podcast. Yeah, they kept making fun of me like that was what I was going to say. I'm like, I don't always say that. But all that being said. <laughs> so, we've, um, I know Cam's been here for parts of it. And I think, Ariel, maybe you've been, you've been here for one part of the worship stuff. Maybe not. I think the last time you were here was when we went to the, uh, it was the day we started talking about it. And Becca, we haven't seen you in a minute. So, this is perfect. Um, we've been going through a series on worship, um, which was really fueled by um, some questions I felt like the Lord was asking me. Um, one of the big questions was, you know, if you never heard my voice again, coming from the Lord, if you never heard my voice again, if you never saw me move in your lifetime, would you still worship me? Like, if you had nothing added to your life, would you continue to worship me? And it was really humbling because... I'm like, well, shouldn't I get something when I believe in you? But that's not the point of like why I believe. Like I want to believe in him beyond all of that. Blessing, curse, any of it. I want to believe just because I know he's real and I have a relationship with him and I love him. And so because of that question, I felt like it was appropriate for us to go back on some uh, things that we do. Um and talk about like healthy rhythms of being like disciples uh, of Jesus, um, and one of those things is worship, which I realized we we had talked a lot about worship in the past year, uh, and um, but I felt like we haven't really talked about it in a Sunday morning church setting, and so um, that's what we've done the last three weeks. This will be week four, um, and I'll just give a brief like synopsis of what we've talked about um so the first week i talked about worship being a man of worship is a full manifestation of our maturity as believers um so that we must first be educated about who god is that's where worship starts knowing who he is and that leads to what we call exaltation e-x-u-l-t um exaltation is like a feeling of like passion and love and desire in your heart so when you like read the word and your heart like leaps or you're like man that's so good like i just want to know him more that like cry of your heart for more of him that's exaltation e-x-u-l-t that's step two and so uh a quote that i had for that that i've heard from a uh on a podcast is um the lord wants us to have a light on in the head and a fire in our heart when it comes to worship we don't go into worship and turn our minds off and just go with the flow like that is just the wrong way to do it. Uh, we go into worship with our heads, our intellect fully intact, but we also don't go into worship with our hearts cold and calloused. And I think all of us can fall onto either one of those where either we turn our minds off or we turn our emotions off. I talked a lot about how our emotions are, um, they, our emotions are just as important as our intellect. You know, God gave us our emotions. 
to separate our emotions from ourselves. Like I've, I grew up in churches where they talked about our emotions being a result of the fall, which is just terrible. It is not true. Um, and that we can't trust our emotions because our emotions are deceptive. And they use that verse, the heart is Jeremiah. The heart is deceptive above all else. Um, and while, yes, you should be wary about being led by your emotions, you must also not shut your emotions off because God has emotions. I've talked about how we need to be students of God's emotions. That when you read the Bible, it, it, there's so many uh, places in the Bible where it talks about God having an emotion about a certain thing that was done. Whether he's angry because the Israelites turned away from him and turned towards other gods. Or he was delighted over people because they turned to him and worshipped him. We can be students of his emotions and do the things that make him happy and not do the things that make him angry, right? It's very black and white. So, anyway, worship involves both our intellect and our emotions. Um, and when that happens, it leads to exaltation, which is E-X-A-L-T, which is declarative. It's pronouncing. It's uh, stating a fact. So when we come into worship and we do this uh, group worship, our congregational worship, um, we're, we're joining together and declaring who God is with the songs that we sing. Declaring who he is not only in a general sense, but also in a personal sense. Like who he is to me right now. Because who he was to me 10 years ago is going to be very different than who he is to me right now. Right? We're going on different journeys. Um, and so it's a way for us to respond to what he's done, the goodness that he's brought. Um, one of the quotes that I, I had brought up from uh, Sam Storms that I thought was just so, so good uh, is worship happens when the mind is gripped with the revelation of God's beauty, his splendor, and the great truths about God revealed in his word. And in turn, your heart and affections are then set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness. And then your mouth explodes in songs of praise and proclamation of the incomparable greatness of God. Should I read that again? Yeah. I'll read it one more time. Yeah. It's a nice long one. No, it's okay. Um, worship happens when the mind is gripped with the revelation of God's beauty, his splendor, and the great truths about him revealed in his word. In turn, your heart, number two, and your affections are then set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness. And then that will lead to your mouth exploding in songs of praise, proclamations of the incomparable greatness of God. One thing I had written down also with that is we want to experience God's delight in us so that we can delight in him and take pleasure in him. Our lives are not meant to be this thing of just endless sacrifice and endless giving away of ourselves and everything's miserable and depressing. That is not the measure of what a Christian is. A Christian is one who is a lover of the Lord and gets to enjoy and reap the benefits of his uh, presence, of his goodness. And you know, there are hard things that we go through. But because of our relationship with the Lord, because of our perspective, because of how we see him, those things that seem like uh, surrender or seem like sacrifice become joy, become excitement. It's no longer sacrifice because all our eyes are fixed on is him.
Yeah, that makes me think about how love and joy um, are a fruit of the Spirit. Uh-huh. And so while as Christians we seek to exhibit them, because it is a fruit of the Spirit, yep. the Spirit that we serve, we also get to enjoy that as well. Yeah. Um, that love and joy from the Lord. Yep. <clears throat> as well and also hopefully from our brothers and sisters in the day right 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 well but yeah yeah yep so then uh last week we talked about um the seven hebrew words for praise which is a great study for anybody to go through um there there's more than seven words for praise in the old testament there's i think over 40 and then there's over 10 or something like that in the New Testament for Greek words for worship. But there's seven main words that are used. And uh, we just went through the definitions of them and what they mean and read some verses with them. Um, I recorded it. It'll be on the podcast. I'm going to catch up on the podcast, I promise. Uh, I want to hear all of these. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to be good. Um, but one of the things I, I had talked out about before, and I think it came off wrong, was like inviting people to stand up or move around or lift your hands or do stuff like that. And I think um, somebody had asked, well, that's just not the way I worship. The way I worship is sitting down. And to that I said, oh, I'm not trying to force you to do something at all. Um, or say that it's the only way. Right, or say that my way is the only way and tell you that this is how you're supposed to worship. Um, I think my question to everybody is, is your way of worship just what makes you comfortable? Is that what God's asking for? Because if we just worship him in what's comfortable, is that actually worship? Or is that convenience? You know, he deserves way more than just what's convenient for us. Um, and I, I found when you go through those Hebrew words for praise, almost every single one of them, almost every single one, is tied to lifting your hands or dancing a dance or shouting with your lips. It's very physical. It's not just this thing of like, it's a spiritual feeling and emotion we have during worship. And I think we've, we've talked about the Greek versus Hebrew thought idea and how Greek thought has just been a cancer to the way we look at Christianity because it makes everything a spiritual thing. Everything about being a Christian is spiritual when being a, a Jewish person Everything you did was spiritual, whether physical or spiritual or mental or emotional. It was all like worship. You know, it was all meant for the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That's your entire being. Physical, emotional, mental, financial, all of it is tied together. The Lord doesn't want just a little bit of you. He wants all of you. And so we want to give him all of us. And if worship is tied to moving around and dancing, and I don't dance or I don't move, I should check myself, not the Bible should check itself. Does that make sense? Meaning I don't dictate what worship is. The Bible does. And I get to follow that. If I'm uncomfortable with it, then this is a chance for me to walk out in faith and step out and do something. Now, am I asking that? I think one of the big problems with all the moving and stuff is we have seen churches where people move around and jump around without their heart being involved in it. And you know what? I don't care what they do because I'm not basing my worship on what other churches have done. 
I want to base my worship off of what is true, what is biblical, and what brings delight to the Lord. And so uh, that's been my challenge. It's like, I don't want to just do what's comfortable, but I want to do what's pleasing to Him. And so when I go into worship now, I'm not just saying, I know how this goes. I've led a thousand worship sets, and I know what we're supposed to do. But I want to say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever your will is today. If you want to move in me, move in me. If you want me to lift my hands, I'll lift my hands. If you want me to dance a dance, I'll dance a dance. I just want to worship you. Um, and taking off the like, the guardrails. Um, so that's just a brief, brief, five to ten minutes review of what we've talked about to what leads up to today, um, which is, I want to talk about extravagant worship. So, um, if you've got your Bibles, can we turn to, let's, let's look at Matthew 26. I think that's the one I like best. There's multiple versions of this story. It is. Yep. How'd you know? You've been doing your homework. Or you just know me too well. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just trying to see. John 12. Okay. Oh, there it is. I think. No, it's twenty. It's twenty six. Yep, twenty six, verse six. I was just looking at the Gospel of John account, but let's read. Um, who wants to read verses six through thirteen? Follow me. I will. Okay. All right. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. And poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said to them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath brought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she has poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Mm -hmm. Man. So if you know me, if you've known me for any stretch of time, you know, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, this and uh, the other Mary story where Mary and Martha are in the house. Martha's running around trying to do all this stuff. And then Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus rebukes Martha. And says, you know, you're so busy with so many things. Your sister, she's, she's chosen the better thing, which is sitting at my feet and gazing on me. Um, and so, in talking about extravagant worship, um, I think this story is so beautiful because Mary has this expensive bottle of, uh, fragrance 
And Cam, how how valuable was that bottle of fragrance? Because I know you know. I know you know the numbers. Well, I believe there's suspicion that it would have been like an entire year of. Oh. A salary of a year. Okay. Like her that's, dowry. Yeah, that's why they were mad. Which, well, it's why right. um, people think that the disciple that brought it up was probably Judas. Judas. Mm-hmm. Because there's also suspicion that maybe he was pocketing money as the person doing the money for Jesus. Right. Because Jesus isn't going to care. Yeah. And he's like, what the heck? That's a whole bunch of money that we could have given. Given to the poor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's crazy. Think of that. A year's salary. Considering that, like, the general rule of thumb for a wedding ring is supposed to be, like, three months. Mm-hmm. That's a nice wedding ring. What? <laughs> that's, like... I think that was, like Maybe a, a cultural thing. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a cultural a idea. Thing. Like, okay. three months salary you should spend on a ring. It's like, that's a expensive ring. Worth, I mean, it's not like the person's not worth it. Anyway, we won't go down that rabbit trail. I was fine with that. Um, <laughs> but, so, there's a bunch of men and women here. Uh, just a bun- more so men and then two women. There's just so many things that strike me about this. But Mary is not afraid to stand out in the crowd as a woman. And that's like a no-no in this culture. Like, you're supposed to play the background. They're not sure which Mary it is. Right, right. How do we know that this is Mary at all? Is, is it in one of the other versions? One of the other, uh, one of, yeah. One of the other stories, it, it named Dr. Oh, I thought Mary. it was Mary. Okay. There's, there's debate over whether it's her or whether it's Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Right, because it calls her Mary of yeah. Bethany. It's just, and then there's Mary, just different titles. Either way, yeah, either way, it's it's still interesting that she, one, steps out into the middle of a crowd of mainly men and is willing to put her, risk her reputation, which already isn't that great, so probably not too much to risk, you know, but to lay down in the middle of this room and have the audacity and the boldness to break open a jar that, like, there's no, like, Bible verse that says to do this. There's nothing prescribing this. This is just something that she's doing out of the, the joy of her own heart. And she breaks it all over his feet. And she weeps and she washes his feet with it. Pours it on his head. This is on his head. Yeah. That this kind one, of yeah. been wild. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure yeah. he knew she was there because... Can you imagine? You're just... Like, yeah. all of a sudden... <laughs> Very fragrant ointment all yeah. over you. Well, and, and also, in, that, that's another story. Yeah, it depends on which gospel story. I think it would make sense on his head, though, because that's, I mean, in the Old Testament, that's how all the kings were anointed. And that's, that's the point. So when you read the gospels, each writer is trying to point out a different thing about the story. So Matthew is writing his gospel mainly for the Jewish people. And so this would have been something that the Jewish people would have recognized as like, this is the anointing of a king. Not just a, a messiah, but the king. Also an anointing of a priest. Right, the anointing of a priest as well, which Jesus is both, which is baffling to them. Being burial 
and burial. Yep. So and this is the week before. It's Wednesday. Jesus is gonna, you know, get arrested in a couple days, and so somehow Mary recognized something. Some somehow. Um, so I've got a couple questions that I I found in a podcast that struck me and they were impacted me so much and I want to ask them to you guys. Um, so the first one is: Is there a lid on our passion for Jesus? Or are we willing to break the oil of our pride at his feet? And I'm not expecting anybody to shout out loud, but I want you to think about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Who are you? I love you, God. But I want you to like let that rest on you. And like don't just avoid the question, but answer it like honestly to yourself and to the Lord. Do you have a lid on your passion? Everybody has passion in this room. It is a lie that you don't have passion. Um, passion is given from the Lord. And so, are you holding back? Or are you willing to step out in the middle of a crowd, look silly, look dumb, open yourself to scolding because he's worth it? Um, you know, and this idea of extravagant worship, extravagant worship will almost always, almost always bring on criticism. And most of the time, it's from well-meaning people who love the Lord as well. That's even harder. Right. So this story, it wasn't the Romans or the Gentiles who were there. It was the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, the ones who supposedly knew him the most well they must have missed something because they were shocked and appalled and their first thought was we could do something better with this meaning we could give to the poor social justice like that's what this is all about right like bringing justice to the world not that justice is wrong they weren't wrong in saying that that would have been great to be given Number one, it wasn't their oil to do anything with. That oil belonged to Mary. So, people will always tell you what to do with what you own. Um, and number two, Mary, Mary didn't have eyes for any of them. She wasn't worried about any of them. She wasn't focused on what they were thinking. Because if she was, she probably would have given them the oil to sell to whatever. To pay for the poor or do something else. All she had eyes for was Jesus. And in her eyes, apparently, in her heart, and her eyes, the worth of Jesus was incalculable. Meaning, her dashing this at his feet or pouring it on his head was uh, the least that she could do to honor him, to worship him. And so... I want to ask that question to you guys. Like, when we come into worship, are we focused on each other? Are we focused on those around us? Or are we focused on the one who's worth it all? Are we focused on the one who has incomparable greatness? The one who created the earth and the heavens and the universe and the stars and the, the grains of sand, the atoms that make up everything? Or are we worried about 
who's to the right and to the left. <laughs> or worried that somebody might say, you're just going too hard. Yeah. I heard this when I was listening to this podcast, this guy Sam Storms, he said, my biggest regret in life is that nobody's accused me of being too extravagant in my worship. And I thought, man. Man. I would love to be guilty of that. <laughs> um, you know, we're all on a journey of lo- learning to love the Lord more. And I want to be realistic. Like, when we come to worship, we, we have so many things in our head about worship. You know, we, we everybody's got different backgrounds of worship, what it looks like, what it means, and all this stuff. Um, and to me, worship is just a way of our hearts responding to Him and showing him where our hearts are at in a real, real space. And that's why I want us to be real. So, like, today, you might not have the faith or the vision or the, or the perspective of Jesus that he's worth a year's salary. You know what I mean? But that doesn't, we, we can get our eyes focused on, I got to do this big extravagant thing for the Lord. But extravagant worship starts with little steps. It starts with, not being afraid to raise your hands. Or it starts with not being afraid to sing a little louder. It starts with, uh, I don't know, whatever that thing is that you, you're holding back from giving him, it starts with taking a step towards that. And so... Even like, even a heart thing, I feel like, like what you said was all physical things, which that is right. part of it, but also knowing that like he's worth everything... Of my heart. Yeah. I don't really know how to word what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But like she gave, she was willing to die totally of herself and right. all that she owned. Right. And know his worth. Sometimes worship looks like realizing that and actually believing it. Yeah. And that might cause you to do things physically. Right. But there's so much of a heart response that I've been learning since this teaching. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm coming to worship to worship him. Yeah. I'm not coming to hear him, but I want to. Yeah. I'm not coming to like, feel better about myself or yeah. to get filled but I want to yeah. it's just like my main focus is adoring him yeah. and praising him yeah. and something about that shift has really changed worship for me yeah yeah, 100% like that should be our heart at all times with the Lord it's like because if, if we just focus on him for his blessings or his cursings we're going to fall to the wayside because sometimes the Lord doesn't always bless you you know, that is just a reality of the fact. He's always with you. We are promised that. There's no promise that you'll always be financially prosperous. Contrary to the Word of Faith community. <laughs> and I love the Word of Faith community. Trust me. Because I, I grew up in that. And I see so much value in some of the things they taught. Because it gave me so much background for where I am now. But they definitely got some of that wrong. Such as, God always wants to bless you financially. It's just not true. Because it negates... Couldn't the Lord bless you in financial poverty? Yeah. That's a blessing. You know? Or Um, think about the Beatitudes. Right, right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. It's a different type of blessing. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me it's hard Like when I'm striving to make money or I'm striving to do this or that. Just be everything... Um, at once sometimes God's been teaching me to just take a break and be like abide in me and it's not all about 
striving. Yeah. It's not all about doing for me. It's about, so I think for me, that story is just proving that you can find little moments to take a break, even amidst, like, all the work you're doing. Just, like, yeah. spend it on him instead of Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. We're all, we are aspiring to be a people that don't just come to church on Sunday and worship and then throughout the week we don't you know or that we think that worship is just the the part where we sing and do the songs because it's way more than that but I also don't want us to neglect the times when we do sing because that is just as important if you can't do it in that one hour slot of time where everybody else is doing it where like the boundaries are taken off and it's a safe space how could you even expect for one second to do it throughout the rest of the week. If you're unwilling to do it here, how could you even expect yourself to do it out there? You know what I mean? Like, that that's real. Um, and so, um, I think I was, I was still talking about, you know, the, being gentle with ourselves. Like, I, I want you to not feel this condemnation of oh I've got to get up and jump and dance and sing and show all this stuff your heart might not be there and that is fine you have to start somewhere start with little steps the little steps begin to build into more and more that you raising your hands is going to influence your heart more than you just wishing your heart was more in love with him sometimes you have to do something and so we talked about David uh, two weeks ago and his moment of extravagant worship when uh, David became king and he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the, the city. And this was a huge deal. It's the presence of God, the actual presence of God. Like, this is, to them, this is it. Like, and now it's being brought back to their city. It's back in their possession. And David was wanting to bring one place where everyone could come together and worship together. And as it's coming into the city... David slaughters a big old cow right in front of it. And it, it wasn't like a... There's no scripture for that. There's no scripture that says, when the Ark of the Covenant comes back into the city, because there is a lot of scripture about what to do. That, there was nothing. That was David saying, Lord, you're more worth than me to just follow the rules. I gotta give you a little bit more. So let me slaughter this cow and like just give it as an offering to the Lord. Meaning, and a cow is money, just like this oil. Cow is money. That's how they made their their uh, living back then. Slaughters the cow, and as the, the ark is being brought in, he's dancing, and it says he danced with all his might. Not There was no Holy Spirit thing that said, David, the Holy Spirit says this, you need to start dancing. Or thus saith the Lord. A prophet says, David, you need to start dancing for the Lord because that's what's prescribed. No, it was a genuine reaction of David's heart and a response to the Lord. Gratitude to say, your presence is here with me right now. It's coming back into the city and your presence is here. And whether that brings curse or blessing, I'm just glad your presence is here. And he danced with all his might. And, uh, of course, his wife, a well-meaning woman, um, came up to him and said, David, you're dancing like fool. Basically, this isn't befitting of a king. You're a king. This isn't you. You're dancing like a common street person. And what is David's response? Once again, extravagant worship will almost always bring on criticism. How do we respond to that criticism? Well, you should respond like David. 
He said, woman, I will become more undignified than this. <laughs> Your servants will respect me. Yeah, basically. Harvey, no, please. Harvest, no, please. No, ma'am. Basically, my back hurts. Yeah. You were also a sixteen. I think the way I slept last night really hurt my back. Um, I know a good chiropractor. There you go. So the uh, I, I just love that David basically looked at his wife, his wife, his wife. I can't imagine looking at Mel like this and just said. I totally don't care about what you just said. I could care less about what you think. I didn't do it for you. I'm not here worshiping you. And you know what? If you think that's bad, it's going to get way worse, baby. (laughs) If you want out, you better get out now. Because I'm getting way more undignified than this. I feel like you can't imagine saying that to mom now. Because you did say that early on in your relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Did I? Just just Cam being the type of person oh. that if he would have said it. it yeah, that's probably true. The nice thing is I love it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she doesn't argue I with that. I would challenge him. <laughs> um, so, like, that, this is what the heart of extravagant worship is. Like, we have to know theologically what it means to, like, worship so that we can extravagantly worship. I don't want a bunch of people in this house jumping and dancing around and not knowing what they're doing. Just doing it aimlessly. That is foolishness. I want us to be educated. I want us to have a light in the head. But I also want us to have a passion in the heart. And an openness to just what the Lord wants to do. Um, and that our heart, every time we go into worship, is to like focus on him like Mary did. Like David did. Where nobody else matters. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. All that matters is that I see Jesus right here. I see God the Father. I see the Holy Spirit right here. And I'm here to worship. And so, the last question I'll ask is this. How would you, personally, describe your devotion to Jesus? In a word, would you describe... Yeah, if you, if you had like one or two words, how would you describe your devotion to Jesus? So, for example, would you say that your worship is exuberant? Would you say that your worship is passionate? Would you say that your worship is unrestrained? You have changed the question. Oh, have I? Because your your question was how would you describe your was it your passion? Your your devotion to Jesus. Your devotion. And now you're so you ask that and then in all your examples you're going your worship, your worship, your worship. Well, your worship is tied to your devotion to him, I guess. That's kind of my point. When you so it should be adjectives for your devotion and your worship, I guess. Probably. You just yeah, it's not just yeah. about singing, but it can be, you know. Are you exuberant in your devotion to him? Like when you wake up in the morning and nobody else is around, you know. Are you quick to just think of him and lavish praise on him? You know, are you passionate about him? That goes in with worship songs or without them, you know. Daily, are you thinking about him? Is your heart burning for him? Are you unrestrained? Or would you better, uh, could you better describe your worship as measured or calculated? 
or passive, etc., etc. These are just questions that every person I think should ask. We should all ask ourselves. Am I ambivalent to my to Jesus? Do I just believe because I've been told that there's going to be blessing if I believe and I'll get a ticket to heaven? Because that'll create some real ambivalent people. Because you're not really going to be excited about them until you get what you paid, what you came for. Or are you aware of who he is right now? Are you in love with him right now, whether he blesses you or not? And so... That's that's it. All I have. Um, I, I encourage every one of you to take it serious. Like, this is not like a game. This isn't me just trying to get you to do a bunch of things to make me feel better about myself. Or, you know, it, it, it's not like that at all. The way in which our church worships is going to be way different than the way in which a mega church worships. Or an underground church in China worships. It's all going to be different, and I think that's by design, because the New Testament doesn't really describe a, a, a solid layout of what worship is. It does give some boundaries, but it doesn't give a layout of what it is. And I think that's because worship is a response of the heart. And as our, our body, our response is going to be different than what it would be in a, a bigger church or a different area. You know. Um, What's well, so the, other, the other piece to that, too? Prescriptive of worship specifically has to do with temple worship. Right. And the temple doesn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's like all the Old Testament stuff. And that can give us a good, like, baseline. So it's kind of like tithing. I actually talked to Ron about this, but, like, the tithe in the Old Testament is the prescribed 10%. And if you really read it, there's an extra couple percent added in every now and again for different sacrifices. Uh, do you worship the Lord with your finances? Oh, that's going to be his next... Uh, yeah. I know, he's going to talk about it. And that's why I started thinking about it. So, But like Mary, her worship wasn't just a spiritual thing where she came up and said, Oh, King Jesus, shut da da ba 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 you know, going off and doing all the things and giving a spiritual overflow to him. Not that that's bad. Not that that's bad. But her worship... She put her her money where her mouth was, meaning her heart said Jesus is king. Spiritually, she believed that he was king. And so what did she do? She responded physically by saying, yeah, you're the king and breaking open something that cost her money, finances. So her worship in that moment wasn't just a spiritual thing. It was a financial blessing as well as a multitude of other things. Fulfilling prophecy, all that good stuff. But she poured out, you know, I don't know, 50 grand. Or the equivalent there, thereof. So, like, does your whole life worship him? I want us to get to that point. But if we can't even get there on Sunday morning with one another, in a safe space where we all have the same goal, then I don't know how we can do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday after we leave. So we're going to, we'll go into a time of worship next. Um, I'm just going to pray so I can 
in this podcast. Um, but I hope this helps. I hope this is encouraging and not condemning. Um, Father, we just love you and we honor you. We thank you for what worship is. Um, we thank you for what it isn't as well. I just pray that you would teach all of us what it means to truly worship, not based off of what is uh, appropriate in our uh, <clears throat> our circles, but what is appropriate in your eyes, Father. And that even beyond that, that we wouldn't need you to tell us what to do to lavish love on you. Um, so I just pray that you would teach us and show us, Lord, um, how to worship you in a greater capacity. Um, so we love you and we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you have been blessed by today's teaching. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.